1: If you're interested in breaking into engineering, especially as a systems engineer at a company like Lockheed Martin, then this is the episode for you because my next guest has worked at Lockheed Martin on its space projects, and he's done that and a bunch of other things for over seven years, and he only graduated in 2013. But before I introduce you to Stephen Liu, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's Time for Coffee's newsletter that showcases upcoming guests and gives you career advice and inspiration. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time. The number four, coffee.org and the sign-up box is right there. Now my espresso-loving, aspiring engineers please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Stephen Liu, a project manager and systems engineer at Lockheed Martin Space, which is part of Lockheed Martin Corporation, an American aerospace arms defense security and advanced technologies company, guess how many people it employs? Over 110,000 people all around the world. Stephen first started at Lockheed Martin Space in 2014, right out of college, as a systems engineer associate. Three years later, he was accepted into a highly competitive engineering leadership development program known by the acronym... ELDP, which is a three-year job rotation program for early-career, high-potential engineers. During his time in the ELDP, Stephen completed three rotations, one in risk management, the other in mission operations, and the third in project management. Then, in August of 2020, Stephen was promoted to become a project manager of missile obsolescence. I have no idea what that means either, but check out show notes to see if the main time for coffee interview is dropped. That's when we're going to get into it. But that is not all that Stephen does in his professional life. In his free time, Stephen's side hustle involves working as a LinkedIn influencer and his content, oh my gosh, his content is fire. He teaches thousands of viewers how to make their videos sing on LinkedIn. Stephen, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go?
2: I'm as caffeinated as I can without drinking coffee here. But thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. I need to get that transcription of it and I can send it to other people. That was, that was so awesome there. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. And I want you to know, actually, when your episode goes live, on the Time for Coffee website, there are transcriptions. So you can send that copy to your friends. I know you were just being polite, but I wanted to let you know there is that option. I also want you to know, Stephen, I have been so excited to interview you because in the three years since I started building the Time for Coffee podcast and all the content, I have actually only ever interviewed one other engineer. Her name is Brenda Dinbestin, and she's a chemical engineer. And it was during my interview with Brenda that I learned there are so many different kinds of engineers. It's really fascinating. So I obviously have my work cut out for me to try to interview engineers in all of these fields.
2: Yeah, no, I'm glad to, to be the next one up here. So yeah, I think there's, there's countless people you can, you can reach out to. Just engineering is such a, such a broad field. And even you know with the same job title as a systems engineer or a mechanical engineer or whatever, I mean, your job can be totally different. So yeah, I, I think that's just a great place to, to look for people to share their story and just what other people are, are doing for work.
1: Totally. We are going to be digging more Into all of that, what you do as a systems engineer in our main Time for Coffee interview. So, our listeners should again check out show notes to see if Stephen's main Time for Coffee episode has already dropped. But for now, we are going to segue into our 10 espresso shots. So, our first espresso shot is what entry level jobs are available to young people who want to get into engineering and let's say specifically into systems engineering?
2: Yeah, there is so many opportunities out there, especially as a a new grad. You just think of where we are moving in terms of technology. There's always, you always need engineering and just STEM in general. You just need new graduates, new ideas, brand new talents coming in. For systems engineering, it's it's very broad as well. I had four different jobs in systems engineering and they're all different. So you can go from, doing system requirements where you take the customer's requirements and, you know, determine how am I going to take these requirements, break them down into more manageable requirements because it's pretty high level from the customer. Then you work in system design and you design something that meets all of these requirements. I had quite a bit of my time in system integration where we took all these different subsystems, integrated them together, make sure that they all work as a, as a full system, and then we do get into system test, tests. Which you make sure you meet all those requirements that the customer gave you up front. Make sure that you verify them, make sure your system works exactly as as you plan. So there's a lot that you can do in in just systems engineering. For example, in your car, there's a lot of mechanical engineering. There's a lot of moving parts there. There's a lot of software engineering because everything has software, right? You know, There's all these different buttons and features and things that you have in your car. It's all done through software. And I work in the aerospace industry, just aerospace engineers. When I worked in one of my rotations, in mission operations, I had to learn a lot about aerospace engineering, but there's so many opportunities there as well. With what we're doing here at, at Lockheed, you've probably heard of Perseverance, landing on Mars just recently. So a lot of different opportunities out there for, for engineers, and you just have to have a passion in what you're studying and what you want to do in the company, and, as well as the passion in, in their products. And that's just going to take you a really, really long way.
1: So in terms of the kinds of titles they should be looking out for, Stephen, when they're on LinkedIn or whatever job boards they're using to identify entry level positions, what would they look like?
2: Yeah, so if you just look at a job title, you know, of course you have the function of it, right? So you can say systems engineer, aerospace engineer, you know, mechanical engineer, etc. And you know, most of the times if it's looking for a new graduates, they will say entry level. You know, here at Lockheed, entry level positions we put on associate in front of it, so. I think basically you're looking for job titles that don't say senior, don't say principal, don't say staff or anything like that. They just have the basic title. And you know, of course, you gotta look at the job rec. You know, if different companies have different leveling scales. So check the requirements and see if they need two to five years of experience or five to ten years of experience or zero to two years. So, you know, go look into that. But yeah, I think with the job search you need to have an idea of what you're looking for and especially if, like, you know, with systems engineering it's very broad. Just focus on one of the different some parts of it, and that'll make your job search a lot easier because a lot of, lot of opportunities out there is just overwhelming if you're just looking for an engineering job in general.
1: I can only imagine. So, Stephen, what is a useful hard and soft skill that you look for in the young people that you hire?
2: Yeah. So, with hard skills, I would just say know your basics. In whatever engineering field you're in, know your basics. So, You know, if you're an electrical engineer, yeah, know your circuits inside out. Know your RLC circuits. If you're a software engineer, you should know how to code, right? You should know how the basic algorithms work. If you're in aerospace engineering, you know Kepler's laws. You know all these different engineering basics. Have those down 100%. And why I say have the basics down because, you know, that's needed for any job you're in. But every job function, or I'm sorry, every company and every job is very specialized. Especially what I do at Lockheed Martin, the aerospace and defense field. You don't learn the stuff in school. You learn the basics, but then you have to apply it into a specific need or a specific challenge to, to face. So that, that's what I look for in guys, in, in terms of hard skills. You've got to have your basics down. Everything else will teach you when you come on board. For soft skills, I would think number one is communication. And I know that that's very broad, but just being able to communicate you know, who you are, communicate what your passions are communicate why you're a good person in this role, you know, why you want to find this company. And then when you start working, being able to ask questions, being able to ask the right questions as well, being able to communicate, get straight to the point, being able to communicate with different types of people you work with. You know, for me, talking to engineers is different than talking to management, right? With engineers, I have to get down into the deep down technical knowledge there. But with management, I still go straight to the point. Hey, this is the problem facing. This is how we're going to fix it. So, you know, work on those communication skills, Work on team projects, work on speaking up in class, and just just have confidence with that when you you communicate with people. So hard skill is know your engineering basics, and soft skills, I would think it's communication.
1: Excellent. What about someone's major? Is it a deciding factor to get into engineering as a systems engineer or whatever it is? In other words, if they haven't studied it, is it a deal-breaker?
2: I would say today, it's not as much of a deal breaker as it was in the past. Definitely, the degree really, really matters. But there's so many certifications you can do online. There's so many courses you can take. And you know, there are companies now. I know you know some of the major companies like Google or Facebook, they're sort of looking away from the degree and just looking at you know what you know, and, and, you know what, and what your background is. So the degree is, I'd say, it's a must in pretty much most of the cases. But you can definitely find exceptions out there. And I think this is where your passion shows because, yeah, you can graduate. You might know all this knowledge, but you just have no idea how to apply it because you didn't work on any projects. You just kind of graduated from school. So when you're building up your resume and you're looking at jobs that you need to apply to, you need to sell yourself as, hey, yes, I don't have a degree, but I have all this other wealth of knowledge that I picked up. And I'm absolutely super passionate in, in you know, aerospace engineering or systems engineering because of all these projects i worked on, all these organizations I'm a, I'm a part of. Let that shine as well, and, and that will really help make your case. Because you know, if you're hiring someone, yes, you can hire a smartest person, but if they have a terrible work ethic, if they just don't know how to communicate with people, it just makes things challenging. You know, I'm willing to take the chance on someone. Yes, you know, they don't have a 4.0 GPA, they have a lower GPA, but you know, they're absolutely passionate. They've been wanting to get into aerospace since they were in middle school. They just have that passion, and that's going to go a really, really long way.
1: Great. Thank you. What about a graduate school degree? And I'm not even sure I was going to say less so for someone who's trying to get their foot in the door in an entry-level position, more so for somebody who wants to move up the ladder in a company like Lockheed Martin or any other big company. How important is it to have a grad school degree? I know You have one. you got an MS in engineering management. And if so, which kind do you think are the most useful to get?
2: Yeah, grad school, it's it's a different type of approach than undergrad. You know, with your bachelor's degree, you sort of have to have it. I know I I kind of said, you know, there's companies that accept it, but you basically have to graduate in order to to find a job in in most cases. So you're sort of forced to take classes the required classes from the school to, to get that degree in order for you to, to get a job. But with the master's, you have a little more flexibility, right? It's, it's a lot more specialized in the knowledge and you get to pick what you want to focus on. So I got my, like you said, Andrea, I got my master's in engineering management, which is half technical with half management. And, you know, I'm a project manager, which is the reason why I wanted to get that degree. But even with a full-on technical degree, you know, let's say in mechanical engineering, you can focus on dynamics. You can focus on Mechatronics, you can focus on robotics as your master's degree with a specialization in, in any of the so with your master's degree it allows you the flexibility to be very specialized in, in something. And that's part of the decision you have to make. When I was in undergrad about three, three and a half years in and at that time there was a combined five year degree for a bachelor's and a master's in computer engineering. But at that point I was I was like, I'm done with school. I, I don't want to study this anymore. So I wanted to work for <laughs> years to figure out what I wanted to Get that specialization in, or what to focus in, and then you know, and then apply for my master's, and that's exactly what I did. I started my master's three years after I, I started working. So when I say it's a must, no, it depends. You know, unless you're in a research field, then maybe a master's and a PhD would help, especially a technical one. But I think it's you got to figure out where you want to go in your career. You know, you don't do the master's to climb up the ladder per se. That's not your top priority. The priority is to, I, I just want to learn more. Right, for me, I want to learn more on how to become a better project manager, learn those skills. I also learned some technical knowledge as well. Pursuing a, a purely technical master's degree, just because you want to learn more about that specific field. So I would say it, it does help in the long run, but I wouldn't say, oh, yeah, you, you have to have a master's in order to climb the ladder. There's plenty of people, plenty of executives that don't have that master's degree. But when you're deciding to pursue that master's, think hard about it. Think about what do I really want to learn more about? And that, that would help you get through, get through your master's.
1: And by the way, Stephen got his master's degree while he was working at Lockheed. I'm curious, did they foot the bill for you or was this coming out of your pocket?
2: Yeah, so Lockheed did did pay for it. We pay, Lockheed pays for about $13,000 a year. And as part of being part of the engineering leadership development program, there was a benefit there that there's no yearly cap. So when I started my master's, when I started my master's, I didn't get elected into the program yet. So I was trying to be on a, a four year plan because you know at the time I was like, okay, let me stretch it out, let me get an extra, you know, ten, twelve K of tuition reimbursement to, to stretch out through that fourth year, so I don't have to pay anything out of pocket. But after I got into the program, I was thinking, well, you know, why am I taking my time? Might as well rush it because there's no cap for me. So I accelerated it, finished in three years. I took summer classes my second and third year. I took three classes at the same time over two different quarters. And yeah, I did finish at the end of 2019 there. So yeah, the great thing was, yeah, I didn't have to, didn't have to pay for it. But I did pay for it in other ways in terms of my time, in my effort, dealing with everything going on with work and then having to go to class. But I mean, that was definitely a, a big benefit there, just not having to, to pay for it and getting reimbursed for it.
1: My gosh, that is, that is a lot to be dealing with. On top of it, you were also doing LinkedIn, but we'll be getting into that later. So, Stephen, what kind of life experiences, those experiences that we have outside the classroom, do you think are most useful for aspiring engineers to try to cultivate, maybe even to give them an edge on the competition when they're applying for those coveted jobs?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think two parts there that that relate to each other. The first one is just having that passion. So, what I tell law students who are in engineering, I tell them always ask yourself, why am I studying, you know, this type of engineering? Why am I studying engineering? Because engineering isn't easy. You know, by your junior, senior year, you're taking really, really hard classes. So you have to consistently and constantly remind yourself, why am I studying this? And tie it back to your passion. Because if you're doing it because your parents are telling you to do it or because you want to make more money, that's not the right reason. So always have that story, you know, ready to go that, hey, I was inspired to be an engineer because I enjoyed taking apart toy cars or enjoyed figuring out how things work or, or playing with you know, light switches or things like that. So have that passion, and that will help carry you through school. And when you, you know, talk to people, when you network, and they say, hey, you know, hey, you're studying electrical engineering. Why did you study that? Your passion just actually shows because you have that story. And because you have a passion in it, you can always – you're willing to put in the time to start working on side projects outside of your normal classes or maybe even before you start college because you have that passion. You want to learn more. You want to try things. You want to break things apart. You want to figure out how things work. So having, those, having that passion leads to working on other projects and that, you know, that helps you on your resume when you apply for a job because, hey, this is something extra that I'm doing compared to my peers. That would really help make you stand out.
1: Is that something you did?
2: Not quite to that level. I did really highlight the projects I worked on when I was in school. When you know, I, I obviously I had that passion of engineering, not quite specific computer engineering, but I always just like figuring out how things work, and that you know really helped motivate me you know, when I was in school. And what I did was I really highlighted the projects that I worked on in part of my classes, and you know those classes allowed some flexibility on what you can do. But because I worked on that project I put it in you know blood, sweat, and tears on those projects, and when I go to interviews, I brought the physical project with me, whether it was a modified RC car, whether it was just a breadboard. I brought the report too. And then I could just spend you know, an hour talking about this project because I put in so much investment into it. And because I, you know, I invested so much in it, I have that passion that shows, hey, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to share with you what I have today. And what I learned you know, early on in those interviews was, hey, I can spend all day talking about my project and I know it inside out rather than having the interviewer ask me some technical questions that I may or may not know the answer to. So by bringing those physical projects, by highlighting those projects, you highlight your passion, and you talk about you know what you know about.
1: Yeah, you're the one who is driving the conversation. <laughs> That's great advice, Stephen. So, what is the best part for you of being a systems engineer?
2: Yeah, I think the best part for me, and you know, I think just ties it overall with what I do at Lockheed is, hey, okay, what I do makes a difference in the world. We're in aerospace, we're a defense company. And right, it, it protects lives of American citizens. It, it, it defends and protects our country, and that just you know it, it goes a long way because it's not just oh I go to work every day and just whatever. No, it's I'm protecting the lives of our soldiers. I'm protecting the lives of our our citizens. You know, I'll, I'll share an example as an assistant engineer. I talk about system integration leading to system test. In my first job, we tested tactical vehicles in our lab and made sure that they worked and, and you know all the software and hardware upgrades all worked. And eventually that, those vehicles got shipped over to the United Arab Emirates, the UAE, and they're using it to defend their country. So just knowing what i touched, what I've you know, spent time on, upgrade, updated and upgraded the hardware, the software, what I tested, our, one of our allies is using it to, to defend their citizens. So that, 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 you know, that really motivates me to, you know, to do what I'm doing and to know what I do uh, really makes a difference in the world.
1: I can hear it in your voice. <laughs> So what is the flip side for you Stephen because every job, every career, no matter how interesting and honestly no matter how passionately you feel about it has aspects that just suck. So what is the part of your current job that sucks the most?
2: Yeah, there is a especially in the, you know, aerospace defense working with the government There's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of approvals. Things go really, 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 really slow. You know, I think that's just my biggest gripe against it. I know it's important. And especially now, you know, especially if the schedule is tight and I'm trying to get things approved, it's just, nope, you know, by contract, the customer gets two weeks to approve this. And I'm like, okay, well, we got exactly two weeks before I need to get this approved. And it's just, just trying to work that. So I would say that's the biggest negative of what I do. I know it's important, but especially when times are stressful, when I'm trying to meet a deadline. That just comes in and it's a little frustrating, but as I know, these rules and these regulations are, are in place because of past mistakes. So, you has got to be able to understand that and, and know the big picture of everything around it.
1: Good to know. So, three final espresso shots as you take a sip of your coffee, Stephen, and I can see one another. It may not be coffee. I'm just going to pretend it is. What is the best career advice you've ever gotten, Stephen?
2: The best career advice I've gotten is just do it. Don't don't wait for someone's permission. Don't be scared to ask. Don't overthink things. Whatever you want in your career, just go do it. Right? If you want to take on an additional task, just go talk to your manager. Right? Don't don't be afraid of rejection. Don't be afraid of them saying no. Just ask. Right? If you want a promotion, just ask. Hey, what do I need to do to get a promotion? Because you can't wait on someone else to say, Oh, I think you're ready for a promotion and we'll put you in. At that time, no, you wasted a year, two years, maybe even longer, just waiting. If you just take that first step, to, just to go do that. For example, for all my rotations, I had to go find the, the different jobs myself. So I had to go reach out to people and tell them, "Hey, this is what I'm looking for, and what does your group do? Let I me mean, understand that, and we'll see if there's a good fit." So it just turns up anything you do in your career. Just don't be scared. Just ask, and and just just do it. Don't overthink things, and and if you don't ask at all, the answer's still no. So you might as well just ask.
1: I love that advice. And I think it also speaks to your side hustle that you started because, and we will get into this in the main time for coffee interview. The reason behind why Stephen started producing weekly videos on LinkedIn, he was trying to push himself out of his comfort zone and. If he had thought about it too much, he would have psyched himself out. He just did it. And I know that you've been doing that to this day. You have things I think you're doing. Is it 50 planks a day or like what? I mean, you're just doing all this exercise now. What is it?
2: Yeah. So one of my three goals this year, but one of them is a 52-week challenge of doing weekly LinkedIn live streams just building up on what I've done in the past. But I always want to make sure I have some sort of fitness-related goal, right? Because you you, you, know, you got to take care of your body. So this year, I'm doing a different monthly fitness goal. And in January, my goal was to hold a plank for five minutes. That didn't work out. So I modified it in February to hold the plank for five minutes throughout the day, as well as do 100 push-ups a day. So I wrapped that up in February. Now we're in March. I decided to, okay, I'm going to do 100 squats on top of everything I'm doing right now. So it's... Hold the plank for five minutes throughout the day. Do a hundred push-ups throughout the day, and then do a hundred squats throughout the day. And it, it just helps get me moving throughout the day, especially with work from home. So my rule is, whenever I get up from my seat to either use the bathroom, to get water, to do anything, I got to do one of those three things. So most of the time, by like lunch, maybe a little after lunch, I, I finish you know, all these different exercises just by breaking it up throughout the day. Sometimes I'm trying to you know do it at like 9 p.m. at night, just just to, you know because I had a busy day. But just by way of keeping fit and then, you know, keeping active as much as I can in this work-from-home environment.
1: Wow. You are such an inspiration. Thank you for sharing that, Stephen. So here's a fun question. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Amazon, Hulu streaming shows, or books do you think accurately depict your profession? Oh,
2: man, that's, this is a good one. You sent me this question beforehand. I just can't, I can't think of an answer. I, you know, to be honest, I don't spend much time streaming. I don't spend much time reading books. What's your favorite book or what book do you recommend? I I don't have an answer to that. So, yeah, sorry, sorry, Andrea. I don't have a good answer for you. Spending too much time flanking rather than streaming on Netflix.
1: (laughs) Have you seen the movie The Martian with Matt Damon?
2: Oh, yeah. I've seen that, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a good one. What's the other one? What's the other movie? I think, yeah, I watched The Martian. I'm trying to think of the other... It was
1: something movie. like Galactica or... Yeah.
2: I would say, I think that... Yeah, it's the funny thing about these space movies. I noticed things that we have at Lockheed. That at Lockheed Martin, you see some, like, little ad placement here and there. I know the, the other movie, At Astra, that came out, I think, last year or two years ago. That was... Lockheed was really involved in that one. They they interviewed some Lockheed engineers for, for that. So I guess Brad the funny Pitt thing is was in that. Yeah, he was in that, yeah, as well. I guess the funny thing is if you go watch if you watch Iron Man and watch Stark Industries, Robert Downey Jr.'s for Iron Man's company, the logo looks like Lockheed Martin. So Stark Industries looks like Lockheed Martin. So that's a little I, I, I see that every single time.
1: Little insider observation there. Alright, final espresso shot. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about being a systems engineer?
2: Yeah, I would say it's, the opportunities are endless. There's so many different things you can do. My first four jobs at Lockheed were all systems engineering jobs, and they were all totally different. I didn't have one job where I did the same exact thing as the other. And you know, I I did system integration, I did system test, I did some system design, and then I worked in Satellites and mission operations. And I haven't touched systems requirements yet. And there's a lot more, you know, a lot more that I can do. So, as a systems engineer, there's just so many opportunities out there. Even if you look at the Lockheed Martin website, there's like six or seven different categories for systems engineering. So, as I said earlier, have a good idea of what you want to do, and then you can help focus your job search a little better.
1: Fantastic. You can follow Stephen. I recommend you do on LinkedIn. You can also find him on LinkedIn at hashtag Stephen, that's S-T-E-P-H-E-N, helps you all schmushed together. Any other places that you want to add, Stephen, that people can find you?
2: No, that's, that's great. Uh, just connect with me on LinkedIn. I connect with everyone. Just make sure you send me a personalized connection request or I'm going to ask you, what do you do? Why did you want to connect? So, But anyways, I connect with everyone and I'm, I'm out here trying to help as many people as possible. So feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn.
1: Excellent. Stephen. I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee tonight with
0: me and the t for c community. This was terrific.
2: Yeah, thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to, to speak to your audience here, So this was, this was a lot of fun. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of t for c we